0: Welcome to the Books Applied Podcast, presented by WSL Leadership. In this podcast, we talk about an awesome book and how to apply it to your work, sport, or life. I'm your host, Iggy Perillo. Thanks for joining me. On today's episode of the book supplied podcast we're talking about the book buddha's brain the practical neuroscience of happiness love and wisdom by rick hansen and richard mendius and today i'm talking with very special guest roberta Ravella. thanks for joining me roberta will you introduce yourself a little bit for the listeners out there in the world Sure. Thank you for having me. Um,
1: I am Roberta Ravella. I help uh, real estate agents with their marketing strategies, to be short about it, but um, in the mortgage business for 20 years in sales. And when I started uh, deciding on my second career, my husband and I started moving around. He was transferring and it's a pretty local business. So I thought maybe it's time for me to find something I can move with me. Mm -hmm. And I was learning a lot about marketing at the time. Um, and so I decided to take that as my
0: next journey. Awesome. Awesome. And which is a very interesting pathway to this book, which I have read because you recommended it to me. And so I'm curious how you came across the book, Buddha's Brain, or how that, yeah. What what drew you to this book or how did you first connect with it? Well, I first connected with it from my sister, mm, okay. um, Carmen Gill,
1: Dr. Carmen Gill. <laughs> she is a PhD in counseling. And so, um, I think I actually read this, it was in one of her classes that she had recommended the book that being in the mortgage business and in sales, I was under an extreme amount of stress often. Mm-hmm. And so um, she recommended this for me to try and help myself meditate. I was having a hard time just sitting and meditating. Um, so just to get behind the neuroscience um, things that, you know, what, What wires or fires together, wires together, how to kind of take the neuroscience path of things like reframing and sometimes hocus (laughs) pocusy sounding um, uh, life beneficial hacks or whatever you want to call it. i don't mm-hmm. really like to call meditation a hack but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
0: it's woo it sounds pretty woo though i would have to say like uh, yeah. many people like cousin McCross is like oh, okay you're just gonna meditate your way to health and wealth whatever you know it comes off as a hocusy-pocusy uh, i agree yeah. with that it can it can yeah. come off that way
1: right or, or the the uh, western american basic concept that either you can be successful in business and have money and, and have a a high career, or you can be happy. Right. And in a meditative state and nurturing the good side of yourself and your being like, for some reason, we're kind of taught they're mutually exclusive.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a, again, I would agree with the subtext of what you're saying. It's a totally a false dichotomy. And I think it is still as pervasive everywhere. Like every, either you're, yeah, financially successful, business successful, or like a good person, but you're not both, you know, like <laughs> right. basically, or happy as a person, maybe not a good person, exactly. So yeah. it's interesting. And I would say this book is this beautiful bridge between, uh, I didn't grow up with a, um, I'm not very dialed into like a Buddhist practice at all. That's something that's not like I've heard of and seen here and there, and you know, but not something that I've personally engaged with very much. And I know there are people that have, and I'm definitely approached this book from the yeah, the neuroscience, the phys you know, that side of it. The sort of one of the fellows that wrote this is an M D doctor and the other mm-hmm. is a PhD, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's this beautiful combination of the medical side plus the sort of I don't know, I don't wanna say metaphysical, but like in a kind of cheesy sense, but like the the Buddhist side. Like fundamentally there's yeah. a Buddhist thought and practice and ps there's a lot of medical parts that's it up you know so it's this kind of interesting connection of the two that i enjoyed a ton throughout the book it is interesting well and
1: um what would turn my sister on to this she'd been meditating for a while when she was in her phd program and i was like one of the high points in my career at the time so we were both under a lot of stress but the people that in my realm, <laughs> my realm of study at the time were like, well, oh, the doctor has a pill for that, right? Oh, if right, you're stressed right. out, go, go get some Xanax. You know, did you get your feelings hurt? Well, let's go have a drink after after uh, work, whatever. And she was more into this uh, meditation and things um, for various reasons. But then, you know, with MRIs and CT scans being available to researchers, When these guys started this book, I want to say the copyrights in uh, 2010-ish. Oh, yeah.
0: 2009 for their first copy or the first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now they have access to all
1: this empirical data that says when you do this, this is what happens in your brain. So it's not guessing anymore. Um, It's telling you, you know. So the escalation of one of of my favorite parts in the book. when I picked it back up, when you said you, you know, we talked about it, I looked at what I sticky noted.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, so many—that's like, great.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, that's a good place to start. And the first place I had sticky noted um, was chapter three. It's called the first dart, the first and mm. second dart. Oh, I
0: love that part. I love that part. Yeah. Oh, um, like, yeah, this exactly. This is crazy. <laughs> I think like, I feel like me? yeah. My response was like, oh yeah, I totally do that. Like, oh yeah, I totally do that. Do you want to explain the first and second dart a little bit? Yeah. A beautiful explanation of what we, what I do that I never had words for, you know, fundamentally. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so the first start would be the dart that I throw, say we, we end up, end up in a conflict. The first start would be the dart I throw at you. Say, I say something to you that's maybe not so nice or off the cuff or insensitive or whatever, right? You know, oh, Iggy, it's just your silly podcast. That's not nice. <laughs> it's not yeah. mean, but it's, you know, it's yeah. just not nice, right? Yeah. So it's, you got a dart from me. Mm-hmm. The second dart is you going, I can't believe she said that. Mm-hmm. Who does she think she is? Why does she think this is silly? Is my podcast silly? I'm silly. Everything's silly. I suck. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Like that whole thing that we do that had nothing to do with the first thing that happened, mm-hmm. which maybe you would have said, well, my podcast isn't silly. Or I was like, oops, I didn't mean it that way. Or whatever you do to rectify mm-hmm. a situation. Or in my case at this time, um, in the mortgage business is very time sensitive. So one thing doesn't happen, it can be a literal domino of horrendous effect. And so every morning when I would wake up, I would count the things that hadn't happened that needed to happen. And then my brain would go off to the races from there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) Sometimes mm -hmm. I was right. Sometimes I wasn't. But the first start may be, well, the appraisal for this was supposed to come back yesterday. It's today and it's not back yet. So then I would unload on myself this whole horror of situations. Some I knew from experience could happen, but just hadn't happened yet. And then would be, you know, in a horrible state of stress, you know, stomach hurting, not able to eat, um, couldn't focus on doing my sales because you can't focus on anything else when all you're doing is feeling those darts.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love the description of how like one dart is thrown at us by the world. And then the second one, we throw it ourselves. <laughs> I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I am throwing that dart at myself right now with stress or worry or snipping back at someone is like another dart. And then I feel bad about snipping back. You know, you say something right. to me that's kind of off the cuff that I'm like, you know, defensive and mean back to you that I feel bad about being defensive and mean back to you. And so that's more darts being thrown at myself because I'm, basically escalating this in myself. And so like the advice is like, stop throwing the second dart, (laughs) like, which is like, yeah, obviously, and there's more to it, right? We have so many habits around doing this or taking things and like the idea of taking things really personally, like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person because of this. Like, no, maybe you made a bad choice. Maybe you you know said something, you know, like I love your example, like just kind of unthinkingly did or said something or maybe things are happening out of your control and it's still you still can't do anything about the things out of your control that are happening but you can control how much essentially you beat yourself up about it like that is mm-hmm. really the answer and it's like yeah that's great cool high five how do i fix that like he doesn't just like gloss over this like he really gets into what this means like what is going on for ourselves in our brain when this happens and why mm-hmm. how we get into this like loop essentially for ourselves and yeah. so and breaking those loops is hard because they're self-reinforcing and they like we do this a lot and it happens a lot and we do this a lot and it happens more and we like, it keeps going and going. So it's tricky, but it's like, Oh, I, I feel like, I felt like as I read that part, I'm like, Oh, this is so obvious and so simple and so hard to do all at the same time. Yes.
1: But well, in, in the escalation, then for me would always be, this always happens to me. What well, mm-hmm. always happened to me in my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Whether it happened or not, it always happened to me in my head. Um. So I think just the awareness of, like you're saying, now I know the start is mine. So what am I going to do with it? Because that one is in my control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think going back to, okay, people who are, you know, the the successful business person is stressed out, they're aggressive, they're conquering problems or, well, if if, let's just say 50% of those darts are self-created and you can do away with them then you've just reduced your stress and problems by 50%.
0: Which sounds like an amazing, like, it sounds like a woo yet amazing process, right? But then they go on to talk about it, like, well, here's how you do this. Like, I think it moves pretty quickly from like, and so this is, I love the, the titles of the sections. This is part one, and it's just called the causes of suffering. Basically, it's your own fault, you know, is part of the answer there and stuff happens and how we interpret stuff happens, you know, but part two, we move straight from there to happiness. Like, oh yeah, that sounds way better than suffering. Yeah. And I I actually love the first practice around the happiness section, which again, like I read and I was like, oh yeah, Uh, duh, obvious. And I see it happen so much and it's called taking in the good. And really the neuroscience of this part is like the thing that we, strive for and pen- spend our time and attention on is what we're cultivating more of in our in our bodies and in our brains. So if we are focused on attacking problems, right? And so we're in this like attack mode. I need to attack problem, attack problem, attack problem. And we never, uh, the first section is called taking in the good. And I never take in the good. Whenever I get to a spot where there's no more problems, I'm just going to be looking for more problems to attack because that's all I'm habituated to doing is attacking problems, attacking problems, attacking problems. So I mm-hmm. actually am not setting myself up for rest or enjoyment or feelings of success, because I'm so wired to like attack problems, which is I I think this also calls to mind the sort of militaristic language we use in some ways. Mm -hmm. I'm in attack mode. Like cool. But when are you in like, like chill mode? When are you in absorbing the good mode? When are you in success mode? Like if you're literally never in success mode, you never will be because you don't know how to be like your body just does not know how to process or be in that space, which I thought was yeah. fascinating. Do you see that in your work and in your world? I do.
1: Um, it's almost like we're triggered in that constant fight or flight. So, if like you're saying with the with the military language that we use a lot of time, all right, this is war. Let's attack. Be on a good defense. off you know, all the all the words. And um, what I mean, what does a good soldier never do? Let their guard down. Boom. I'm not, I'm not fighting anything (laughs) or anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the best things that happened to me in my business and in a transition I made through marketing and learning all the, all the things about marketing was I stopped competing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, some, some people are going to use me for marketing and they should, and some people aren't and they shouldn't. (laughs) Um, you know, if I'd have said that in my, in the sales for my mortgage company, I would have got dogpiled. Mm -hmm. We weren't the best for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. one of the first times I came really into contact with that was somebody came in with a wealth manager. You're not going to beat what a wealth manager can do for somebody who's got $10 million in their bank account. Mm. You know, so leave it, leave it lie, Keep moving. You're like, oh, I got to compete. I got to compete. You can't. Mm -hmm. So keep going. Right. So it became that way. And I started seeking that out in my marketing was who am I good for? Who is good for me? Who really needs what I have to offer? And then it's not a competition. It's a matter of, did they see me? You know, it was like communicating clearly. Were they in the space in themselves to where they could hear and accept it?
0: And if we get a yes to all those, we're good to go. Right. Right. Versus, I need to force something to happen in like I've, i feel like oh, so many people and i found myself being in the space of like oh i really need to make this thing happen right now or for this person or through this project or you know like like i feel super it's almost like like overly deadline overly outcome and overly deadline attached but i have the wrong deadlines and the wrong outcomes <laughs> and so i'm not gonna make be happy once i get there and nor is the process of getting there gonna make me happy or learn anything so yeah. Why am I doing this? I, th- I like that you frame that as competition. Like, who am I doing this for? Or why am I doing this? Is it be- to feel like I'm better than someone else? Like who, you know, it doesn't make sense. And the flip side is to also just be willing to be like, oh, things are okay. Like to be to put yourself in a state mm-hmm. where things are okay, when we are. Um, uh, yeah, I love the uh, sort of the analysis of like, we are Um, designed to be threat aware. Like we were designed to look around and look Mm -hmm. for problems and be like, I need to be aware because something could hurt me potentially. Like the reality is, yeah, stuff could hurt you. But if you're only ever threat aware, you're never ever comfortable. (laughs) Like like you were just saying this before, you're always on guard and like ready and like whatever, which is not a relaxed place to be or it doesn't feel successful because you're always on guard for the next thing or you're always like threat aware for the next thing. So I actually really love that that interpretation of what it means to, to like really take in the good means to be ready to accept that sometimes things are good. Like, I don't know why that's so mind boggling to me, but I see it so often in people around me and people I work with who are like, okay, I work with um, many folks in nonprofits who are very mission driven. Like, oh, we have this mission mm-hmm. and their missions are lofty and huge and like world mindset changing, which is amazing. And without being on that journey and feeling like you have success or feeling like you have moments where you can relax and celebrate and enjoy it. Like you were going to, I see why people burn themselves out, like mm-hmm. fundamentally, right? Like, because mm-hmm. they're like, I got to keep going. This thing needs to be done. This problem needs to be solved. Yeah. Without being able to take in the good along the way you were, it, you just don't last in those spaces, right. or you're unhappy. You're painfully, painfully unhappy. Is the other yeah you know, result? It's like leaving the you
1: know the light switch on all the time, or flicking it off and on, off and on, off and off and on. It, you're going to blow the bulb. It's going to burn out. Like it's just not meant to be that way, our, our systems aren't be, meant to be that way, right? We're meant to have downtime, but especially now that we're not living in Maslow's, right? We don't live outside anymore, we're not worried about the lions and tigers and bears coming to eat us at night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people live in Maslow's. I get it. But for the majority of us, we're out here in business trying to be successful. We're a nonprofit trying to build something and working towards a mission. But yeah, I mean, to take the the moment to enjoy the success that you've had or just to enjoy the downtime of a moment, to enjoy the nice things that are going on around you, the kind of people that participate in a mission like that, just to take in the enjoyment of it.
0: Yeah, enjoyment, appreciation, celebration—all those things. I think I took from this that sometimes we just need to be more intentional about because we are focused on problem solving, focused on the mission, focused on the goals. You know, like, and if we, yeah, if our brain isn't in a place to accept any of that, the good stuff, it never. We need to train our brain to accept the good stuff. Essentially, like if we don't train that, also we don't. We aren't ready for it when it happens, and we'll keep persisting in you know, the stressful pathways we're on without creating another pathway. So yeah, I thought that part was super interesting. And really validating for like, Oh, yeah, it's okay to have weekends, people like it's okay to unplug people like it's okay to do these things. And not feel guilty about them and not feel not throw yourself second darts about them because you were just creating pathways to feel success by feeling success, just like you would create pathways to feel stress by feeling stress. So you're building those deeper, you know, neural pathways is what I'm talking about a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I found that so
1: interesting The the way you can rewire and wire your brain, the way I was brought up was people are the way they are. You know, I don't know if it was before they figured out neuroplasticity or just the, the environment, the culture, whatever, but we now know through science that you can rewire your brain. You can change your neural pathways. Some of them are really ingrained and it's going to take a minute, whatever. But just to know that these habits of constant fight or flight, of constant seeking stress, um, of only feeling pressure, only having that second dart, you know, come at you, that you can rewire these things. And I mean, the effort is conscious, but I don't think it's that
0: hard. It seems more like a habit. Oh, yeah. And changing habits, obviously, like you were just saying, not easy, but absolutely doable at these super deep fundamental levels. I had a friend once say that you can change your defaults. I'm like, yes, you can change your default response to you can, You can, and it might take work, but it's not the kind of work that you think it is, right? If you're like, I'm going to attack this work, like, cool, <laughs> attack the work of creating more positive pathways, maybe, you know, like you're just reinforcing some of that same thing. It gets weird and messy, but to build in alternatives, alternative pathways is, uh, I mean, it requires change. It requires being open to change and being open to Mm -hmm. that. There's a totally different way of doing things and approaching things. And uh, back to what you how you let off this whole conversation, you can still be successful in business and be, you know, happy, fulfilled, not in constant stress mode as a human. Like these are both possible. Yes.
1: The other thing I really love about, um, what he talks about, and I, I should have bookmarked it, but I've noticed lately, like, I really have to be um, cognizant of my attention. Mm-hmm. I've taken TikTok off my phone like four times. <laughs> because the next thing you know, it's not, and I don't care that I'm watching it. It really doesn't bother me. I like the videos I'm watching. I will like who I picked, you know. Um I'm not watching about anything that's going to turn me into some kind of crazed fundamentalist somewhere, right?
0: (laughs) Good. (laughs) It's it's, making healthy choices, maybe. It's it's food
1: and fashion most of the time, but it's still that attention (laughs) that's like this, right? And then you've got the other ones, you've got Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, email, like everything is off, off, off all the time. So again, you're going right back to that part of your um, nervous system that's constantly being ignited. And so it makes it hard to, to reduce stress, to get into sleep good sleep hygiene. And, um, I reread the parts he was talking about getting your attention back. I'm like, okay, this is so important just to be in a quiet space of your own attention.
0: (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) We're pulled so many different ways all the time. I recently, turned off email notifications on my phone because i get a lot of my work happens through email i'm like actually i don't need to know every time i look at my phone that that i have emails like it's okay or i've closed more tabs that have notifications like i've i have turned off so many notifications which fundamentally makes me maybe slower to respond to people because i i I didn't know you messaged me until i checked on that later but the reality is i think like that kind of speaks to this this idea of equanimity like that we are you were in a place of your own um like, I don't have the right word for it even. I mean, equanimity is such a beautiful word and it like kind of translates across as balance, but I don't think balance is right. Mm-hmm. Or wholeness, which is maybe a little better, or just sort of at peace within yourself in a way that is yeah. um, self-fulfilling and self-sustaining. And I think that looks a little different. I think we have this idea, you know, the, the stereotype idea is like, oh, I'm just going to be like some wild person out in a cave somewhere all alone. Like, no. And that's maybe one version of equanimity, like the hermit on the, you know, in the woods kind of vibe. But I think the reality is in our lives, we can still act and interact with humans and people and notifications. And Ah. I love that you've taken TikTok off 12 times. I never got on TikTok. So step ahead there, Mia. (laughs) Yeah, You know, A plus for me. But I think the, the different calls to our attention, like we can choose, so many of them we can choose to turn off, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful. I mean, like really, Like I've heard the you know, the stat that if your phone is just even in your field of view, you're 33 percent less attentive to what's happening around you. Right. Or the conversation you're having. If I'm sitting next to a person talking to them, but my phone is even face down on the table between us. My attention is drawn away by that by that device in that space. And so I'm like definitely less phone attached than than some people I know and maybe more than other people. I don't know. But I also I come from this background of working literally in the woods, unplugged for weeks at a time. And this was maybe before TikTok was even a thing, and maybe before there were some other pieces of uh, technology that people got more attached to. But I'm fine with that. Like, I'm okay being unplugged. I'm about to, uh, when we're recording this, I'm about to actually go on a uh, trip to the woods again for a week and not have my phone and not have my computer and not get online for five days. And the world will be fine without me. I've, you Mm -hmm. know, set stuff up around, you know, so that there'll be an autoresponder. So people are like, oh, where are you? I'm like, I'll get back to you in two, you know, a week or two, whatever, calm down. And I think there are ways to, to <sighs> mitigate other people's expectations. And the reality is, if I don't post on Instagram for two weeks, four, four weeks a month, like that works for me. And that is, you know, the the attention that I've cultivated, because I would rather do the deep work, I'd rather do be attentive to the conversations I'm having in that moment and not be like, oh, yeah, like, oh, something's happening over here. Like, oh, where's my phone? Oh, wait, did I just get a message? Oh, ah. wait, you know, yeah, there's so much. And I think it's beautiful and interesting and I cultivate what comes in, right? I think you were talking about this too, that like you you pick what you want to look look at, what you want to give attention to, but that doesn't mean we're not fracturing our attention anyway. Like, oh, I could read those. Like, I do have this stack of books over here. Like, I could be reading a little bit of all of them at once, but I'd rather read, you know, be attentive to one at a time and be focused on one thing. So, but I, yeah, I love that idea of being, a attentive to your attention right being intentional with your intention to yes. me was super resonant idea do you find that in your work that you do that like that has been some other than re- wrestling with tiktok which is beautiful <sighs> it's designed it's designed to pull your attention like it's everything Absolutely. about it, it's designed for your attention to be attention seeking oh, yeah and it's funny because a lot of
1: the marketing i do is digital mm-hmm. so it's being in you know, using it as the tool that it is instead of it using you for the attention. Your attention is what they're, that's their commodity. That's what they're selling is your attention. Um, And I hear people a lot of times say, I can't. I can't stay off Facebook. I can't do this. I have to, I can't, I have to, I can't, I have to, I can't, I have to. Well, we've got along fine before. And I know people who are not on any digital media at all and don't have a website and earn a lot of money. (laughs)
0: Oh, shocking.
1: (laughs) Even in this day and age, it's still possible. Yeah, absolutely. So having that agency, and I think that's what comes back when you're talking about equanimity, like, okay, I might not always be in the perfect, you know, balance and all peaceful, whatever. But no matter what anybody says around me, my choices are still my choices. You know, I choose to care for my family that's my choice. We know people who don't care for their family at all. I choose to care for myself. That's my choice. We know people who don't care for themselves at all. Right. The same with the business and how I set it up. So what you're saying is so great about the boundaries. You set them and everybody lives. So <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I- again, this is like a habit that's hard. And like things are designed to be attention addictive and designed to be um, fulfilling, like, oh, wait, you know, I have no sound notifications on my phone. Like, I actually don't even look at Instagram with sound on. Like, if you don't have words on your post, I'm probably just going to swipe through Mm because I don't even have time to turn the sound on because it's so designed to like, bing, you know, like I've been around other people whose phones are beeping and binging and dinging. And I'm like. Whoa, you have a lot going on. They're like it's fine, it's fine. I'm like it's not. Every time your phone dings, I'm distracted. But also, you are distracted even though you appear to be engaging with me. And that's, you know, there are reasons why people need to get your attention quickly, and there are a lot of reasons people don't. There's this beautiful line from Edward Abbey, uh the environmentalist back in the day. He didn't have a phone, a telephone in his house. And this is like mm-hmm. I think probably the I'm guessing the sixties and fifties, sixties, seventies, somewhere in this time frame, right? He's like, I don't want a bell in my house that anyone in the world could ring at any time of the day. And that's why he didn't have a telephone. And now so many people have this bell on their body that like will vibrate or ring or get your attention from anyone in the world at any time of day, and not even humans. Like you know the robots ah. that are like, here's your blah blah blah. Here's your special offer. here, you know like whatever it is. Like we we've moved that from in our home to like literally on our body. And I've yes. I don't know if you've talked to people who are like, oh I feel. I worked with people and took them into the woods, and so they left their technology behind, and they're like, oh I still feel like I feel my phone ringing in my pocket. I'm like, yeah, your phone is back at the base, like two <laughs> miles, you know, 50 miles away, and they're like, I feel it. Like I'm like, yeah, this is you and your attachment to or thoughts of or you know your physical not just attention, but your physical reaction to this device that you're Mm -hmm. having on you. Habits are hard to change, but how is that habit serving us? I think is kind of the big question and it's not to create more equanimity or balance or feeling of wholeness or feeling of, uh, mindfulness. And that attentive mindfulness is not created by constant distractions fundamentally. No, it's crazy. Um, We go to Italy every year. My husband's family
1: lives there. And a couple of the places we go, uh, I don't turn on my phone because we don't want to pay the data roaming or whatever. And the internet's just not that great. They're funny about that over there, Mm. Um, (laughs) which is nice I'll be like, huh, my phone doesn't, it doesn't work at all. So I'll just leave it unless, you know, I, my goal to get a camera so I can leave the phone. I'll take mm. it for the camera. And then I still feel the distraction of it. Right. Can I just mm-hmm. take this camera? But yeah, to be out roaming somewhere where no one
0: can find you.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's, I spent my childhood doing it.
0: Right. And we, and we live this far where he would so far. Childhood, yeah. just wild creatures out in the woods, you know, or just I know. unconnected or not with phones. And and I think to be said, there are people that use these technologies super well. And you can it doesn't I don't think we're either of us who are saying throw your phone in the trash, but I think the the contrast when we notice that we're unplugged intentionally or when you're in this like low, low access service area. Like there's a couple of places I um go where the like you're literally just under the cell tower, so you don't get cell service. And so it's spotty mm-hmm. and sketchy and weird. And it's beautiful. It's this beautiful little moment to be like, I know, well ah. I'm there, I'm out of touch, which is great. And there are ways to be attentive and be, yeah, to pay attention to what's happening and to what you need to be paying attention to without the distractions. And your phone can be a tool in that. Your computer can be a tool in that. All these apps, every app in the world can support that or be a super ridiculous distraction and keep you in that sense of like a little bit anxiety, but also Mm -hmm. a little bit. um, Oh, there's another word where like we're. We're validation seeking. So, if all our validation mm-hmm. comes from the number of pings and likes and messages on our phone, great. But unless that validation can come from within, we're really, every ping is a second dart we're throwing at ourselves. Like, in this, like, very, like, I know it's like a long way around to get back to that same point, but it is. <laughs> I agree.
1: And I was just thinking the same thing, right? You can use the technology as a tool and, and, something to help you or it be, can become that dart. Right. And then all the darts that follow behind it.
0: Yeah. I think you said it beautiful before it can you, it's a tool you use or it's a tool that uses you like, which is I think a beautiful way that you phrase phrased that earlier on. Like, yeah. Like who's in charge here, yeah. you or everyone else in the world and or every other <laughs> bot and like robot auto phishing scam. That's going to be pinging you, you know, the next yes. minute or two.
1: Yes all the cookies on your phone that are following you around the <laughs> internet.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and like, yeah, I, I do appreciate watching like what ads get served to me based on my searches. You know, it's so funny and they're not quite yet to figure out like, Hey, I already bought that thing. Stop sending me ads about the thing. Cause I, I have it back off everyone else <laughs> out there, but good times, good times. Is there, yeah. Uh, there's this other funny part of the book that, uh, I think has become a meme, which is really funny. Like the two wolves. I'm like, oh, I've seen the two wolves meme in places. And it really actually the kind of like, oh, the backstory of the two wolves, you know, it's like the meme is like, there are two wolves within you. And, you know, it's always something silly, like one, like really wants pizza. The other is lactose intolerant. And you're like, okay, great. Like, that's <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Right. But like this, the backstory, I'm going to flip over to it right now. Um, basically this, um... The story about a Native American elder who was asked uh, how she became so wise, so happy, and so respected. She answered, in my heart, there are two wolves, a wolf of love and a wolf of hate. It all depends on which one I feed each day, which is so beautiful, I think. And like, oh, duh, like, yeah, we're not, we we don't lose these parts of us that are distracting our attention. We don't really lose the potential to throw second darts at ourselves. We don't lose, you know, it's not like we're free from all these things, it's that we are choosing what to manage or what like really what to feed, like what to give our attention to. Mm-hmm. And are those things supporting us and building us in like helping us create that like wise, happy and respected um, self that we want? Or are those things pulling us toward distraction, pulling us toward that sort of angry or fight mode or, you know, aggressive, you know, building aggressive neural pathways that we are feel like are so deep we can't get out of. We need to be treat everything with aggression, you know, like, Ugh. Or intensity or something like that. So yeah. yeah, I thought it was nice I'm like, oh, good. Here's a backstory to a meme that's kind of popular from time to time. Thanks. All right.
1: I mean, it's a it's a very Buddhist concept that all the seeds of seeds of every emotion are in us, right? And which one you water, because they will all come up. I mean, of course, we're all angry sometimes. Everybody gets mad or angry sometimes. Sometimes you feel vengeful, sometimes you feel jealous, whatever. It's what you do with it. And like she's saying with what whichever one you feed is the one. That becomes so strong in you. Um, I like like the idea of it's all there, right? Because sometimes it feels, I'll say for myself, like, oh, I shouldn't be mad. Well, maybe I should be. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. So if (laughs) I am, (laughs) then what are we going to do with this?
0: Yeah, right. The f- like, the feeling like I shouldn't be is the second dart we throw at ourselves, right? <laughs> like that literally is. We're like, I'm mad, but I shouldn't be. So I'm mad about being mad, and I'm I feel shame yeah. about feeling mad. Yeah, yeah. We just yeah. We spiral all ourselves. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I- it's I like, okay, feel the feel, and then oh yeah, move along. This does talk really okay. through specifically about. Uh, understanding your feelings and identifying your feelings which is a practice i work with um, people a lot like like literally describing how you feel and literally putting words to your emotional state and i think there's this this second practice of not not just engaging with the state and letting it manage you but to be aware of it in a place that you're observing it like oh i i'm so mad right now or like oh i'm feeling anger right now right like which is this Mm -hmm. weird subtle difference and i think the like the other beautiful part of this book that I think we barely scratched the surface on is it really talks through really specific practices and really like, here's how you can do this. Here's the, a meditation for this. Here's a mm-hmm. step-by-step process for how to, when this happens to get your brain to move in this direction. And so like we are mainly talking the big ideas, but this book is really a manual for rewiring your brain in really interesting and beautiful ways, I think, that I'm okay so. people can get the book to go read all about that. It was it's really- yeah. Like, they're like every chapter kind of ends with, like, cool, here's here's how you're going to do this for yourself. Here's a practice for this yeah, in a very, they're, very detailed way.
1: The great meditations in here. I will say this too. One of the best things I ever learned in my marketing compared to in my sales career was to get out of condensing and get into the empathy part of it, right? They, my mentor always says, enter the conversation that's going on inside of your client's head. If I understand everything that's going on in there, right? Like, I'm scared about this. I don't want to spend money on that. Last time I did, I got front, blah, 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 blah. If I can enter in that conversation in a, in a way of empathy and also sensing how, the, how you feel and the conversation and the language and then help you, first of all, relay it to you, back to you <laughs> and say, this is how we can fix this or not necessarily how, just I can, whatever. Um, then you really have up to your game in marketing, mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that understanding of how the other person feels, what's the problem, what's going on here. It's not mine's bigger, better, faster, stronger, cheaper, uh, more expensive, whatever it is. It's more about how is this person feeling? What's the problem? How are they feeling around the problem? And how can I help them in light of those feelings and emotions?
0: right it really moves it to the the feeling level versus like oh you have a problem like and i think there's this other angle on marketing which it sounds like you do not follow which is like we just need to talk about the problem until you're so overwhelmed by the problem that i show up as this you know white knight on the horizon that can offer you all these amazing solutions right and i think we've seen that and that's not unique i think in the world of marketing to like really hammer on the problem and make you feel super stressed about it and then i offer you like the The solution to your stress, you know, the like I'm here and I may have solutions to your stress, but I think by making you feel super terrible about the problem first, like (laughs) is kind of weird, right? Like, like it's it's kind of that I would say is manipulative more than me showing up and being like, what is actually going on for you and understanding how you feel about it? Because I think you're right. People are nuanced. People are. Uh, doing a million things at once people like I love what you said I actually had a conversation with someone recently where I'm like hey last time I did something like this it was it was terrible and I'm going into a similar kind of thing I just want you to know I'm bringing this like the last time experience with me so here's here's what my questions are for you that really are questions I should have asked last time but now I'm gonna ask you this because I don't want to what happened last time to happen now and the person I was talking to was super graceful about like oh yeah we're it's like this it's like that you know like they could clarify but once I brought out I'm asking you questions, not because of you, but because of the past and they, it was an amazing conversation that I, you know, had with this folks who were selling me something that I ended up buying. Obviously they did a great job, but like, I think they, I don't know if they would have asked me that later, like, you know, what my reservations are. I'm sure they would have Mm -hmm. like, like this is like the classic, right? Like, Hey, what's, what's holding you back? What's, you know, what is on your mind? But I think there's a way to approach it that is, what are you feeling i love that question because we are emotional we decide based on emotion we like to think we mm-hmm. logical rational mm-hmm. beings we are 100% not we are we go with what we want to say or want to do like the um, I don't know if you've read much of Annie Duke's sort of decision making metrics like she talks a lot about we can be really logical but we need to be really intentional about how we feel about these we can have the plus and mm-hmm. minus list of things but if we feel really strongly about one thing on the plus list and there's 400 things in the minus list we're still going to go with the plus list because that thing we feel strongly about is going to overweigh the numbers you know like the logic, like the number of things on each side and she would say this is a stupid way to make decisions like don't make the plus minus list at all but uh, that's yeah. but for another time but I love that <laughs> What you're saying though, it's like like what we treat people like humans? Weird. Like, oh yeah, shocking.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you I mean, do you feel blank X, Y, and Z? Are you worried about you know A B C? If so, then call me. I can do blah, right? Yeah. Whatever.
0: Right, you right. Know. Which is which is very different than let me tell you about how terrible it could be for you, you know, like that approach, which is eh feels gross and i think yeah. and we fall for and still feels gross and you know is <laughs> a bummer well this has been an it's awesome awesome conversation today roberta are there any other like hot parts of the book that you want to make sure we hit on before we um, wrap things up
1: you know i really enjoy the meditations in the book i've done quite a few of them um like the walking meditations i find sitting meditating is is difficult for me often Um, So the walking meditations, I think are really great or standing, breathing meditations. And I really did, as you were saying, like just taking in and enjoying the positive things and making sure that's part of the whole event. If something really good happens, just feel, you know, feel the feels like we do when something bad happens.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I think then the next level of that practice is to feel, to notice the positive in any situation, right? And we're like, oh, it's so easy or oh, it's so trite. Like it comes off as either way. But the reality is like where I am, uh, it sleets and snows. It's sleeting a little bit earlier today. And I'm like, oh, it's sleeting. I have to go outside. But I'm like, oh, it's actually really pretty. Like there still are like positives to notice and mm-hmm. engage with, even if you're like, not super stoked on, <laughs> on the situation, right? Like I'm not yeah. like, always super stoked sometimes i'm like yes it's snowing it's amazing like i can't wait you know other times i'm like oh this is a little bit of a hassle but yeah yeah i i and i do like that this this book is geared toward the very novice of meditators like yeah there's like watching mm-hmm. meditation there's like here's something you can do for one minute and that's okay you know like i think we i've heard like oh you can't meditate for half an hour meditate for a minute i'm like okay eye rollie, whatever that seems like a waste <laughs> of time but i think this this book beautifully describes like, here's what you can do in that minute. Here's like uh, what to say, what to do. And like, you don't mm-hmm. need to sit in like the sitting blank mind. Meditation is cool, but maybe that doesn't work for you. Great, don't do it. Like there's not one way. And I think that also is really addressed beautifully in this yeah, book. Yeah,
1: I think so too. I, I I really enjoy how they're instructional. They help you get through it and it just makes so much sense. Um,
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed coming back to it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for recommending it to me. And thanks so much for joining me on this conversation today. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the books applied podcast. I hope you enjoyed getting to know a new book and learning how to apply its ideas to make your work sport or life a little bit more awesome. For more leadership education related content, including conflict management checklists, invitations to a fun-free lunch that happens monthly, upcoming classes, webinars, and mastermind groups, please head over to WSLleadership.com. Thanks, and have a great day.